0: This is To Be Continued, the Coming Out Saga podcast, and I'm Amber Birch. At the moment, I use she, they pronouns, though that could change at any time, and I am here to normalize that for myself and anyone else. I came out first as pansexual and now as queer at the age of 40 after an eight-year marriage. This podcast is my attempt to sift through the many layers that are part of the after of coming out. I hope in my stories and the questions I'm sitting with, you'll ultimately see glimpses of your own story and space to be with it all. This podcast is an exploration of personal identity. I'm sure there will be times I use terms or language that don't feel right for you, and the language I use will likely continue shifting and evolving as I also learn, change, and grow in my identity. This is part of the process I'm sharing here. So I ask that you listen with an open heart, an open mind, and I welcome respectful engagement and polite feedback at any time. If not with myself directly, then I hope you will bring your thoughts to your own community and find meaningful dialogue within yourself and the relationships in your daily life. I'm glad you're here. Welcome back to To Be Continued, the Coming Out Saga. I am reporting to you live from my new digs in the city of Albany, New York, where I've been now for just about two weeks. And so, you know, instead of the background noise of either the forest, which was only a few times or a river <laughs> on summertime, um, or uh, tractors, <laughs> or the sound of a mill, um, or housemates going past my room. Um, you will, might hear the sound of sirens, or very loud traffic on the busy street that I live. It is all part of the new studio <laughs> that, that is my room in the city. Um, maybe, maybe one day I'll get some, you know, recording equipment for a podcast, but that today is not that day. <laughs> so it's been uh, a little over a month since I recorded my last episode, but in this surreal extensiveness of time, it feels like it may have been like last year, I, I know I, I feel like I've been saying this a lot lately in various words about time, but there really are experiences and seasons that can seem a lot like a magic spell that has stretched the calendar to hold far more than would normally fit within a particular space of time, where you know, we enter and emerge from a sort of time warp. You know what I mean? I've in the past called this the spaciousness of time when everything just seems to slow and time almost seems irrelevant. Like we're kind of luxuriating in, in it all. And there are times like now for me that feel not, So much like luxuriating slowness as much as they feel like active transformation. Um I've talked too often about being in a process of metamorphosis. You know, I've I I love just the imagery and metaphor of a monarch and just the stages of a monarch's life, from caterpillar to chrysalis to butterfly. Um, And I've shared in episodes about identifying with really being in a chrysalis awaiting my emergence. So on some level, none of this is exactly new or news, but y'all, and I, I feel only slightly hesitant to declare this with some sort of, definitiveness, if that's a word, but I actually feel I've emerged from my chrysalis in the last five weeks. Yeah. Like I'm just kind of hanging out with that statement right now. (laughs) Can I really say that? But yes, I I feel like I can plant my feet on that statement. I feel I've emerged from my chrysalis, period. At least this chrysalis, you know. I, I didn't know at the time that I, that I this was happening, when I was you know really wrapping up my chapter of life back on the farm, in Vermont. I, I don't think I even realized the full extent of how dark it had been for me in that season, how encased I was in that season, how really it all felt like I was existing in a cave. Not until I moved to Albany, it just, it wasn't just, you know, this chunk of time that I'd spent on the farm that I was in this chrysalis it was really the past decade. There, There's just been so much shedding, so much deconstruction, so much crisis, so much discovery, so much liberating myself, so much isolation and being sequestered from others, whether it was by choice or circumstance or a combination of the two. Um, I... I learned during this time a lot of coping mechanisms for surviving and as best I could thriving on my own. I I learned a lot of hypervigilance, <laughs> which is hard to undo. <laughs> um, I learned a lot about what I'm capable of enduring. And I learned a lot about my courage and resilience But what marked a lot of this time was the darkness, the heaviness, the sadness, the inability to see beyond where I was, the incredible discomfort of feeling myself dissolving into a state of goo within my chrysalis as I tucked away and just committed myself to the work of becoming this new creature, (laughs) you know, hopefully a butterfly, (laughs) um, you know, and as you know, perhaps if, if you've been following my podcast and, you know, my last episode, the whole last episode was on grief, you know, the experience throughout my life really but also the more recent experience of you know my romantic relationship ending with my my former partner Camille and just being in the grief of that the process of letting go of any story around this relationship this love that had had meant and, and still means so much to me and really just existing in what is right now which is largely undefined and very uncertain and beautiful and hard and just all the things you know and so that's where i left off <laughs> and and so i want to pick up from that ending and really just share this process of, of coming out of the chrysalis. All of this, the ending, the ending of this chapter, this whole really book of my life, and the ending of this relationship, all of this happened during Scorpio season. Which, <laughs> for my astrology buffs, who know way more than I do about this, I know that you will appreciate the the symbolism and synchronicity of this. <laughs> uh, at the end of last year, when I was visiting my, my best friend G., for the holidays, we did what's called a year-ahead tarot spread. I'd never done anything like this before. I would, I loved it. It's been very, it just informative and and fascinating to follow this throughout the year. We pulled cards for every astrological season, you know, starting with like Capricorn, and just going through and just pulling a card for what. Really would be our invitation, our biggest teacher for these seasons, and so I've had this to just look at throughout the year to say, "Huh, what is my what card is showing up for me in this season, and and what might that be um, teaching me or inviting me into in this season?" And the card I pulled. As my teacher for Scorpio season was, drumroll, any guesses, people? <laughs> it was the tower. Yeah. <laughs> so when I saw this initially on my end of the year horizon, it it's not like it was predictive or anything like that. That's not how I view um Tarot. Um, it was more like there's gonna be energy around this card, the work of this card, energy around the death-birth cycle. There's gonna be something that is no longer working for me that needs to come down, something that needs to shed, be buried. It could be big, it could be pretty small, it may be internal, it may be external. But I knew to pay attention to this. Um, I don't have a traditional, you know, Smith Rider Waite tarot deck, but I know that in that deck, the tower card is depicted with a pretty dismal scene. There's this large tower that is being struck by lightning and it's engulfed in flames and two people are falling headfirst from the top of the structure. Um, and while I don't like subscribe to this fatalistic or fearful interpretation of tarot cards, what I do know about the tower is that shit is burning. You know. So when my breakup happened, the first thought was, "Fuck." This is my tower. (laughs) This is what's coming down. (laughs) But that seemed too easy, you know? So I just sat with it for a bit without jumping to interpretation or searching for answers. And through, you know, listening to some podcasts and really pulling some more tarot cards and just, like, inviting reflection what came to me eventually was this. My tower was not the relationship. My tower was this belief that I've really just um, internalized without realizing it. That I've, I've been carrying it with me throughout this entire chapter of my chrysalis life of and that's that i'm fundamentally not okay that i have to work tirelessly devotedly towards my healing and liberation because if i don't these you know unhealed unformed parts of me are are going to take me down they're in some way, shape, or form, they're going to take everything and everyone I love. They're liabilities. They're barriers to me being loved, to me belonging. And so I have to prove I'm enough to stick around for by working my ass off to heal myself fast enough to prevent further loss. Basically, I I could just never get a break. I've not allowed myself to take a break from, you know, the work of healing as if it's a full-time job. And it really has felt like it a lot of times, uh, particularly the last couple of years. I'm, I'm not even sure I've known who I would be without this as part of my identity. This kinds of work that I'm doing. Who am I if not this person who's constantly diving deep, deep into the depths of pain and, and trauma and you know, patterning and excavating whatever gems I can to allow them to just inform and transform me. I am not knocking this. Like it has served me well. At various points, I can say that. I am mm. deeply, I, like I bow to that work that I have done. I seriously do. I bow to it. it. It has been tremendous. I've grown in tremendous ways. And I am really proud of how I've shown up for myself in this. But, and this is important. But this intensity and pace of self-healing is ultimately not sustainable, particularly not when it's being supported by this underlying belief that I'm not okay without it. It's fucking exhausting. And ironically, it got to the point where it was bringing up about the very things I was working so hard to prevent, which was a sense of further disconnection and loss. So this was the tower that was burning. This was coming down. I could no longer sustain this belief, this devotion to healing the way that I have. And not only that, I no longer wanted to. I wanted to to jump from this tower. I wanted to get the fuck out. (laughs) I wanted to get out of this structure into spaciousness and rest, where I could begin to build upon a new belief. One where I was fundamentally okay. Where I belonged as I was in the state that I am currently in as a human being in process who is loved and enough just as I am. Where I could love and be loved from this place of enoughness. And starting with myself, but also with others. And so, yeah, this all felt very attached to the transition of leaving Vermont and starting a whole new chapter of life in New York. Um, The farm had been a place for me to, you know, safely hole away in my cave of a chrysalis. But it had also been a place of further isolation for me. I was around people, but for the most part, I felt very much alone. My world was very small. Hell, I mean, my room was essentially a closet, (laughs) which I loved and was very grateful for. But it was also pretty on brand for the season of cave-like living and smallness. And when I left there... I left on my own terms. I left in my own time. I left with a lot of intention and I felt in every fiber of my being like I was leaving behind things that had become too small for me. And I was stepping into my new space as a new being. I mean, as essentially me, but also as someone whose, you know, like particles had been rearranged and had taken on this new shape, a spacious shape, one that I knew would take some time to fill out and expand into. I'm going to take up all the space that I naturally need to and want to wherever I am, whoever I'm around in this Chapter of my life, this new one, that has become one of my intentions. But honestly, I was a little apprehensive about it. I mean, I had grown so accustomed to smallness and without even realizing that's what it was, honestly. I thought, you know, I've, I've made steps to come out of smallness since I left, you know, my marriage and my, my old life behind on the other side of the country that I've been coming out of smallness. So I didn't realize how much smallness I was still in. But I, I, I've grown accustomed to that, to living in a cave in a chrysalis, and I wasn't all that confident that I could live outside of this and thrive. What if I just jumped from one cave to another, I thought? What if I change my environment, sure, but I just continue living in it as if I'm just as small and my world is just as small as it had been for so long. You know, at the same time, I I was determined this would not be my truth. Because I I could actively choose whatever I wanted. And I can create the life that I want. And so I was going to choose to live into a bigger space of me. This move, it's been the first time as a queer person that I've lived in a city. I haven't lived in, you know... I mean, this city isn't huge, (laughs) but it's bigger than the one that I was in last in Washington. It's certainly a lot smaller than Seattle. That was the last, you know, kind of city living that I've been in. And that was like seven years ago. So it's been a while. It's the first time I've been in close proximity to dedicated queer spaces and events and community so it's, that's all novel to me. Um, I've thrown myself into visiting these spaces, thinking this is where I might find my people. And, you know, I'm early on in the game, so <laughs> I, I might very well find my people here still. But I've, I've shown up to a non-binary support group, a Halloween drag show, a gender diversity group, a queer and trans-owned cafe, And the funny, interesting thing is, while these spaces have been welcoming enough and I'm so grateful that they exist, they have not yet been the spaces I have felt the most me. Where I have felt the most me have been the spaces I've walked into that have nothing to do with being queer. And everything to do with allowing some little flame in me the space to live and breathe and grow as it wants to. I, you know, I walk in as the queer non-binary person that I am, and I embody that that identity in that space. But it does not need to be a dedicated queer space or event for me to walk into it and feel that. Last week, I was invited to something I'd never heard of before, let alone considered being part of. It was a storytelling open mic, which is apparently inspired by the Moth Radio Hour, and I'm embarrassed to say i have never had even heard of that prior to showing up to this event, but it intrigued me. So I decided to show up. I mean... I love hearing people's stories, especially true stories from people's lives. And I also recognize that one of the flames inside of me that I want to tend and give space to is that of Storyteller. I hadn't really thought of this in terms of an open mic scenario, but all the writing that I put out into the world, how I choose to, you know, show up on my Instagram account, and here on my podcast, they're all rooted in this belief that sharing true stories of being a human in process is a powerful, supportive, healing, and transformative offering. It's something that we give ourselves and we give each other. And I think it's really beautiful. I knew ahead of time that there was a theme. In this case, it was living the dream. And I knew we couldn't get up and read something. <laughs> it had to be fresh in the moment. This is one of the reasons I prefer writing. <laughs> I struggle with putting my words together in the moment. So I knew if I got up there to speak, it would be a practice out my outside of my comfort zone for sure. And so as I was driving there, I was listening to a song, Brave by Sarah Bareilles. And I could almost see the story begin to come together in my head, like pieces of writing as I just listened to and just took in the lyrics of this song. And so These are the parts of the song that really struck me. Maybe there's a way out of the cage where you live. Maybe one of these days you can let the light in. Show me how big your brave is. Say what you want to say and let the words fall out. Honestly, I want to see you be brave. Oh, so as I'm listening to this, I saw myself getting married 10 years ago, thinking I was finally realizing a dream, only to realize I'd stepped into a cage. I saw myself going to, you know, my first therapist, really, that felt like a good therapist, (laughs) and This was as this religious faith that I had built my entire life and identity upon was beginning to kind of come apart piece by piece, like a game of Jenga. And I remember my therapist calling me brave. I saw myself sitting among the rubble of that faith after I'd had the courage to really pull every piece out and deconstruct it to the ground and then stepping out of that cage into freedom. I saw myself eventually leaving the cage of my marriage years later and landing on the opposite side of the country, continuing to free myself from every cage and every skin that had grown too small. I saw myself making space at the table, if you will, for the questions of my sexual orientation and not long after gender identity for it. seeing where i'd been existing within cages there too and choosing to step outside into something less defined and more expansive more authentic more me and i was crying as i was driving to the storytelling gig which i was like fuck I'm definitely getting up and telling a story, (laughs) I just know that I am, I'm listening to this song, I'm seeing these images of myself in my mind, and I thought of how fitting it was two weeks after stepping into this vastly different chapter of life in Albany that I would mark it this way, by recognizing this invitation to see how big my brave had become through the years by saying what I wanted to say and literally letting the words fall out, by honoring all the cages I'd set myself free from and getting up in front of a group of strangers to tell some version of this story. And so I did. And the group of people there were so warm and welcoming and encouraging, so beautiful. And real and receptive. And of course, I stumbled through some of my words the way I often do, and I also felt like I'd stumbled into an open space I wanted to return to. This is a piece of home, I thought. This is a flame. I feel alive here. I feel me here. I want more of this. Several days later, I had a similar experience in a totally different space. I took myself out Latin dancing. Now, this is something I fell in love with years ago. I started to go dancing for the first time, never having danced before, never believing I could dance or that I would ever be a good dancer. I did not know how to move my hips. Uh, but I, a friend wore me down asking me to come dancing with her. And I, I finally just to get her off my back, agreed to go. And we showed up to dance. And as soon as I stepped into this ballroom and I heard the music, I just felt this flame in me light up. I knew I had to come back here, even though I did not know what the hell I was doing. And that began a period of my life where I fell in love with dance. And it's also where I met my (laughs) ex-husband. He's the one person I really learned to dance with. And it was, I I really have associated that kind of dancing with that period of my life with him, even though it was something that we did less and less of over the years. I haven't known who I am as a dancer in these sorts of spaces without him. So there's some reclamation to do here, making this my own Because I never stopped loving salsa. It still lights me up. It's still a part of who I am. I hadn't shown up to a dance space like this since I was married. And even then, it had been a few years since we'd gone out ourselves. So the last time I did show up, I was not only partnered, but I identified as straight and cis. (laughs) I... had no idea what it would be like to show up as the person I am now. I'm like, well, I just have to suck it up and deal with straight cis guys asking me to dance all night. (laughs) Probably. But I decided ultimately it didn't really matter. Because I was going for the love of dance. For the love of this flame. Nothing more. I decided it, it didn't matter how rusty I was or how poorly I might perform I wasn't there to perform, and I wasn't there to apologize or to prove anything. And you know what? I was both uncomfortable in the environment and comfortable in my skin. I was self-conscious at times and also able to check myself with my apologies and just be present with the joy of being there. I watched a lot, I danced quite a bit with others and just on the side, content on my own. And while of course I don't, I don't really know the identities of all the people I danced with, I know I danced with all kinds of people. Lastly, a fun and enthusiastic trans woman who is just learning how to dance I pulled her out on the floor for a merengue dance, and God, I didn't really remember how to merengue, but there's not a whole lot to it. So I was like, I may not know how to lead, but we can freestyle, yeah? (laughs) So I just held her hands and twirled her around and laughed and shimmied, and I felt yet again, this is a piece of home in me. I need to return to this. I need to tend this little flame. It felt so good, but you know this morning, too, I woke up, I made myself breakfast, and then I puttered around in the kitchen later, baking biscotti and making coffee and just lingering in the kitchen. I tended some of our house plants and just enjoyed talking to roommate to housemates and I realized I'm spreading out here beyond the refuge of my bedroom. I'm finding the piece of home in me that exists in the kitchen where I feel so happy and content and alive. And I thought about how long it's been since I felt this. Almost two years. And this too really almost brought tears to my eyes. So, yeah, I survey the last five or so weeks of my life. And it feels like I've already filled chapters of a new book. I feel like I'm living a new book of my life. My friend, grief, she's still here with me. God, I love her. I always will. I make space for her and wrap my arms around her when she shows up and knocks at my bedroom door and needs a hug or a good cry or to curl up in bed with snacks and we put on the string lights in the dark and watch a favorite old show. But I am finding she needs less from me these days. Sadness and anxiety are taking up a lot less space in my home. And I'm honestly grateful and relieved for this change. I'm, I'm living into a dream that began at least a decade ago. One that I couldn't grasp or envision at the time, but it's been growing in me regardless. This dream of finding the home I've always longed for. The love I've always dreamt of, the brave I didn't know was mine, finding it's been here in me all along. That's the dream. So, thank you. Thank you for being here to hear my story. May you go out into the spaces where you can tell yours, however that may happen. And may you also see how big your brave is and celebrate that. Until next time, go gently and be well, my friends.